Welcome to Divorce Recovery Stories. My name's Rick. I hope you're well. Today we have Brock with us. Good morning, Brock. Good morning. How you doing, Rick? Doing really good. Appreciate you taking the time to be with us and share a little bit about your story. Uh, Obviously, we can never get it all. (laughs) Divorce is kind of that way. There's always a mountain of it. But maybe you could touch on some of the bigger themes. How old are you? Um, so I will be 32 here pretty quickly. Around the corner for you, huh? Yep, not too far away. Without getting too specific, uh, where are you from? So bounced around quite a bit, but grew up in California. Okay. I'm California born myself. Nice. What was what was growing up like for you? Um, it wasn't too bad. Um, mom, mom and dad had a fairly good relationship, but definitely drinking was a big part of that. Dad drank a lot. Um, and then ended up during high school, my mom passed. So my dad started to drink more and I kind of duplicated my role model and I started drinking quite a bit more. So by the end of high school, I kind of got it back into grass, graduated and but no, it was pretty, pretty good. Did pretty good in school. Yeah, it was, it was different in Cali though. Did you grow up? There's lots of drinking. There's lots of druggy things going on, and I think everybody experiments in one way or another. But when your culture is on that side of of nature and what people are doing, I think you experiment in different ways. Yeah, once I got through high school, finally. Um, went from just about getting kicked out to being able to graduate with like almost like about a 3.5 GPA. So I think I reeled that one in pretty good. That's actually very similar to my story. Uh, Not, I, I didn't have a parent pass away. I was actually just talking about this with a friend. I've lived a life of over responsibility way too Mm -hmm. much. Had to grow up very, very soon. Uh, working jobs pretty much from as soon as I could way before it was legal to (laughs) and (laughs) giving my mom the monies to just help make ends meet. So we wouldn't be in the street. That senior year of high school, I rebelled hardcore against (laughs) all responsibility. Lots of drinking almost didn't graduate. (laughs) I had to take a lot of uh, outside of high school classes but then okay. it turned out that because of all that extra work I did, I was like just shy of graduating with honors. <laughs> there you go. That so works yeah. out. I went the non-traditional route for sure, but <laughs> I made it through. <laughs> yeah, that's Same as you, right? Better for it on the other side. What, what were your parents like? So my dad, construction worker, still to this day, construction he is still in that life, man. He he decided to start drinking pretty much in high school age. Um, and kind of, I'm, I'm going to say he lived the rock star life without the rock star money. And still continues to to this day. He's definitely better. But it's, you know, he's been a single guy now for, shoot, over a decade, I'd say. You know, he doesn't really have as long as he can pay his bills and he gets to see grandkids. 
you know, that, that's about as much as he needs to be able to be responsible for. You know, growing up, he always showed up to work. He was always going. He'd take me with him into work. That was one thing nice back then, I guess, with construction is I got to go and whether it was a Saturday or a side job, whatever, you know, I kind of got to learn that work ethic and that motivation there to get in, get her done and then get home, um, which definitely has helped me with going through life and getting to where I'm at now. Um, but, you know, it was always him and his buddies out in the garage drinking and Friday night, Saturday night, you know, not those guys were bad, but they were just not doing great things. One of my best investments I ever did was putting swear jar, cost you a dollar, <laughs> dollar a swear. Um, and there were guys, they'd come on a Friday and they would just drop a 20, boom, right in the jar. Um, and I'd tally it up. I'd be in there because I'd be doing tinkering with whatever I was doing, you know. And oh, there you go. Oh, you're up. You need to drop another 20 or whatever it was. So, yeah, that was that was good. Like I said, a lot of good guys just. That was their life, you know, drinking and partying, um, work Monday through Friday, and then go tear it up on the weekends. And then my mom, she was, she ended up going into teaching. She was always in school. Every teacher is. They're from day one trying to get in until the day they retire. They're always in school. But she, she was dedicated and I got to watch her too, you know, just staying very on top of it, always trying to get to that next level. Very crafty. We would always go out, do this, do that. Got to really get, I think from both of them, but more so from my mom, kind of how to create friendships was a big part of it. That's a useful skill. Yes. When you pay attention to it, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I learned how to make friendships, but I looked for friends that were in my dad's group. Definitely had other friends, but yeah, that's kind of where I ended up by the time I was in high school. Watched, watched them have a decent relationship. It was always really good until the alcohol got involved too much. Um, and then there, there were nights that I'd remember, hey, go upstairs, you know, and then they'd do their thing and then would wake up in the morning and it'd be all right from what I could tell, you know. And then after my mom passed away, my dad hit rock bottom for sure. So that was hard to go to, same kind of thing. It's like, oh, now I got to pick my game up and really grow up fast without getting through those last couple of years for transitioning from a teenager into an adult, you know. So he, so it sounds like there was always drinking. Oh yeah, for both sure. your parents—they were always drinking. But then after your mom passed, your your dad had a really hard time coping with that. Oh yeah, my mom was moderate with it, for sure, comparatively. But my dad, yeah, it was it was constant thing. It got to the point after my mom passed, I'd get home from school and he'd be passed out on the couch. That was a normal thing. Functioning alcoholic. Yeah, uh, mostly functioning. Maybe mostly functioning. <laughs> mostly functioning. <laughs> wasn't good. I, I kind of held it together for a couple years and it was, yeah, 11th grade. And I was like, yeah, screw it. And went for it, you know, hit the party in real hard and didn't get out for another year or two, but. It's hard when you're that age because everything is so already so weird and awkward when you're that age. Right. Yeah, and you're anyways. trying to fit in and your, your friends mean so much to you. 
And then on top of that, home life's falling apart. And now you have this temptation to do this thing that, you know, I'll be honest, when when I was heavy into that, and I maybe I was never that heavy, but it was never that much fun so much as I just really enjoyed the people I was with. And that time, and admittedly the, the lowered in, inhibitions, was just the distraction I needed to get away from everything else. At least that's how I look at it now. Me then would probably say something very different and probably very asinine <laughs> because. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I agree with that. That that was the distraction to keep you out of the current world and current negative kind of mindset that you were in. Not that that was a positive way to get out of it, right? But right. It was it was a way to escape for sure. So let's fast forward to today. Here you are, long removed from that situation. Looking at your life now, I guess, and and the kind of person you are now, how would your friends, your wife, the people closest to you, how would they describe you? After the long personal personal growth journey over the past couple of years, I would definitely think that a lot of people would say, good dude, very family oriented, just always trying to be around his, his wife and his kids. Kids definitely say I'm the best dad. You know, I think everybody's the best dad they need to be for their kids. So we can all, we could all earn one of those best dad ever cups, right? That they can count on me to actually like follow through and actually fill that hole that they need as a husband, as a father, as a friend, not just be some guy that's there for them, like physically there. Does that make sense? You're a constant. Yes. We usually say children really need that and, and they do, but I think everybody really needs that, you know, especially in relationships you need consistency in relationships, which admittedly may lead to a little bit of boredom and predictability. But if you don't have that, you don't have enough stability to build anything off of, right? You can't build an actual relationship if you don't have that. Otherwise, mm -hmm. all you have is just distractions. Yeah, distractions and just moments. <laughs> You're just going from moment to moment rather right. than, hey, what's our goals? What are we looking at at this point? Cause that's definitely been a big part of it too. Like I know where I would like to get the kids to, right. And kind of trying to help them stay focused. Like, Hey, you guys, what are your goals? What do you want to do? I want to help you get there. Now asking kids what their goals are, is kind of fun. <laughs> you know, there definitely is a lot more imagination, a lot more dreaming than I think most adults have nowadays, but it's still fun to see, okay, what can we do to get you there? And actually being, being somebody who can hey i'm working on doing that same thing let you know being that role model than the role model of hey let's go get trashed on friday night with the buddies you know and it's it's also kind of hard too because a lot of my friends i've kind of had to step away from in in this journey because it's like hey you guys are just out doing the same thing you're not going anywhere you know where were you a year ago you're at the same spot where were you two years ago? You were at the same spot. So I had to kind of step away with that. And it's like, hey, I know where me and my family are headed. I know we have stability. I know that 
for for once you know i've actually been the person that i was meant to be that's awesome so, that's awesome that's a very powerful thing you brought up your your marriage now how about your former spouse how did you meet them the ex so i would have been working at a liquor store so most people know it as California liquor store. It's like a seven 11, right? But you look behind the counter and there's just bottles of liquor. Um, uh, bulletproof glass. Usually that's <laughs> yeah. Depending on where you're at. <laughs> so, um, we didn't have bulletproof glass, but was working there as high school job. Didn't do me any good because I had access to anything in the store that I wanted, but. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on. You were working at a liquor store while you were in high school? Yeah. How'd you swing that? So it's legal as long as someone on the premises is 25 or older. Because it's a convenience store. It's not just liquor, right? It's I me. Mean, there was, you can get a bag of chips and you can get milk. So it's a convenience store, but we just call them liquor stores. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah. Because you can yeah, see where cause... the priorities are, right? It's the liquor store. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> the well, now store. that you say it, you know, I'm thinking back to growing up in California. And yeah, pretty much all the stores I frequented, because back then Walmart wasn't a big deal, uh, you know, dating myself a little bit. Mm -hmm. But yeah, all the little convenience stores, they all sold liquor and they usually had a sign out front, liquor store. Yep. But it was a convenience store. You know, as a kid, we'd go in there for like chips and cookies or whatever mm -hmm. else. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so you're so you're working at the convenience store, and <laughs> your former spouse worked there as well, or she walked in one day. Yeah, moved into the neighborhood and walked in, um, and it was it was kind of nice working there because I kind of knew everybody in the neighborhood, right? Whether they were younger than me, my age, or older, you you start to know a lot of people in the neighborhood and kind of what their habits are and stuff like that. So. Not that I was any good at it, but I kind of knew what was going on. So if somebody new came in, I'm like, oh, you know, you start that conversation, see if it's worth having that relationship with them. I was dating another girl at the time. and It wasn't going anywhere. Kind of just ended up talking and over the course of some time, we ended up starting dating and that started the journey. <laughs> we'll put it that way. So you were you were in high school. It was kind of the high school sweetheart story. Yeah, it was end of high school. Okay, how would your former spouse describe you? Um, POS, um, unfaithful. Just, I mean, you name it, man. I was I was a narcissist, and I was controlling, and yeah, I mean, you name it. Anything under the sun, she gave it to me, and. I believed a lot of it. That was the hard part, you know, that I think a lot of us do in a relationship over, over so much time, you just learn to believe whatever is being told to you. But yeah, she named anything under the sun, dude, if it, it was negative, there was, she always said I was a good dad. So that was cool. You know, I can say that whether that was just what she told me and what she believed, I don't know. There was good times, but there was a lot more negative than there was positive. Does she still describe you that way now? Yeah, she still says a lot of that stuff, but I've had to really put my foot down 
in my journey and say, hey, you know, the biggest thing that I could ever say is I had to learn that I know who I am and she never knew who I was. She's she tries to say things. and I'm like, look, this is what it is. This is what it comes down to. This is where we're at. You have no control over me or the situation at this point. But yeah, I'm still a, oh, you're POS and just I haven't seen her in over a year. It's like I, you have no right to say anything at this point. So I would say, yes, her thoughts of me are exactly the same as they were. How long have you been divorced at this point? A little over okay. two years, maybe. How long were you guys married? Um, so we were married for four or five years. Initially got divorced. Uh, got back about a, back together about a year later. And then another three years or so, three or four years. So all together, about a decade. So you married her twice? Married her once, got divorced, and then got back together. We never officially got married again. Well, how long did you get back together for? Like three years, three or four years. Okay, so it was, yeah, it wasn't an on again, off again. You were together, together. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, physically we were together. Emotionally, I don't think we were ever together. I see. It was a, a comfort and needs situation. Yeah. And I think, yeah, comfort's a good way to put it. That that was just, that that was the situation we were used to. Right. And I think I was used through a lot of that as well. In the state we live in now, it's a lot harder to have this conversation of, you know, it's one thing to tell a young person who's never had sex, wait till marriage. And I think you should. I think that's a very good thing. And I think it will avoid you a lot of trouble if you do that. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to say that to a person who has experienced it, especially someone who was married, who because without getting into too specific details, everybody's got their preferences. Okay. We have things right. we like, things we don't like, and it's just, a lot of times, as much as we fantasize about, you know, someone new and this new romance and, you know, for women, maybe it's, oh, this new man who comes and sweep me off my feet. For men, it's maybe this young, beautiful, nubile partner. At the end of the day, that's a lot of work, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> it really is. It, it doesn't, for most of us, that stuff doesn't just fall into our lap, you know? So <laughs> it's like, you know, it's just easier, <laughs> And, and you get what you need so that Monday doesn't suck as bad. And then you move. Well, you kind of know what to expect too, right? Yes. Like, right now for me, I mean, I'm just a little bit on it. Like there would be months on end of nothing. Okay. So it wasn't like there was the comfortability in quantity necessarily, nor was it really my flavor. So yeah, we were when when I say we were there physically, it was that we were two people standing in a room, a uh, roommate situation, right? Almost. Where yeah, we we'd have our our personal and private time, but that was few and far between. 
I can remember times of six months of nothing. Oh boy, you're not wrong. With my ex-wife and I, I think the longest we went was like a year and a half. It's crazy, right? Yeah, year and a half. People think, yo, some of my single friends would say things like, oh, you're married. You get to have sex all the time. No. No. <laughs> no At first, sure. Not. Maybe that first year, yeah. After that, you know, especially well, if it's a bad marriage. Hmm. No, that doesn't happen. And if you do, it's probably because you were fighting each other and you were yelling and screaming and it's just the makeup version. Right? Yeah. Right. And it's, I always, I always thought about it. Now, in my new relationship, totally different story, but it's that first year you put a penny in a jar, right? Every time you put a penny in a jar. After that first year, every time you take a penny out of the jar and you see in that honeymoon phase, that year after marriage, how many times you, you know, and then how many years later does it take for you to actually get all the pennies out of the jar? That would be an interesting one-on-one -on -one relationship experiment. Uh, I yeah, don't think I would have ever gotten all the pennies back out of the jar. <laughs> yeah. I really don't. I was married 11 years. And, um, well, my my third child is very far apart from my first two, put it that way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there was long spells of we're just roommates. Uh-huh. Absolutely there was. On that same vein, what was being married like for you? For me, I was I was very focused on being the provider is the best way I can describe it. So if I, I mean, there was a point where I was working, I was in school, I was working a part time quotation marks around that second job that was 30 hours a week minimum. So I was literally. Oh, I was always out of home. I was always working. If I could work late, I was working late. If I could pick up a Saturday, I'd pick up a Saturday or whatever it was, right? And for years, I was, I, I provided well and I did that good financially as much as you can. I mean, we weren't rolling in the dough by any means, but there was always food on the plate. And for me, in doing that, I wasn't really a dad. Like I felt that I was, but I wasn't doing that. Um, in the marriage itself, the, there was just no time spent well together that created any sort of a relationship. And even when there was opportunity for that, we didn't get anywhere. So it was, I could say, just very immature relationship that never blossomed into anything you think it would I held on to that thought for a lot of years but it never happened there was there was so much just i would almost say like resentfulness back and forth that even if we were trying to work on something it ended up turning into something that just created more hatred towards each other. Let me back up for one second because I missed a question earlier. Did you guys live together before you got married? Yes. Just for a little while. I would say probably six months, maybe a year, but it wasn't like full-time living together, just most of the time. 
what do you mean? Like one of you would have other arrangements that you'd work out and you'd move out or. We were both still very like partying and we were, we were dating, but we weren't like full-time dating. So she'd stay with me, but there were a night or two out of the week that she'd be off doing whatever she was doing. Okay. And you were not privy to that. Okay. <laughs> It was what it was. I was dumb and drunk and high. So, I mean, I didn't care. Plus, I was working, you know. I, I worked late at that time. So, I was like, okay, I'm just going to go home, drink something, pass out anyways. Why do I care? Mm. Right? Okay. So, you, you lived together for about six months, but then you decided to get married. Was Was there a hope that it would turn into something else? or into something better or sometimes, and I'm not knocking you if you did this. So I've heard plenty of times the story of, well, she was pregnant. So we figured better grow up and take responsibility. Um, which, oh, yeah. Hey, you know, I, I under doesn't work out well usually, uh, but I applaud the intent. <laughs> um, yeah. That, let's go with option C. Yeah. She got pregnant. We had about a 30 second conversation. I'll put it that way. And decided that, yeah, we should do this and have a kid. Not not a great way to do it. I don't advise anybody to do that. It is not just a, uh, yeah, sure, we can handle this. This it's a, it's a massive undertaking, I think, that people don't get about actually having a kid. Um, in hindsight, there's definitely a lot of things. I love my kids. I wouldn't change them for the world. Um, but... There was definitely, uh, yeah, sure, this is going to be great. And then I did have deep feelings for her, right? But having the kid, I think, was that, oh, okay, okay I got to step in. I got to make this come to fruition and actually be that parent, be that husband now. And for a lot of years, I think I told myself that that was, that, that I did love her, but it was really just me filling that ideal that I had of what a father looks like and what a, what a husband looks like. Okay. You know, I got to ask you about that. How long did it take you to come to, to that realization? Um, that, that does not happen overnight. No, it's years, years and years and years, dude. I think that when, when we first got divorced, I think was kind of when, I actually started to think about it. Now, mind you, I was drinking through the whole time. Like it was not, you know, it's the same thing like in high school. I was out of my world. So I think that at that point, I kind of realized it. Um, and it all made sense. But then that loneliness, if you will, and then that extra effort that you have to put into finding a new relationship and finding another woman or male to to be your partner, that just didn't work. I don't want to do this anymore. So they fell right back into it. Oh, well, we can try again, and it's going to be fine. This time it's going to be better. We've both grown up a little bit. Now, I think I did. So in that time, I was actually sober. In that, in that separation time, not the whole time, but for four or five months, I was sober. Um, 
so yeah, I had time to kind of reflect and see what was going on. And then I started drinking again and it just, it, it fell into place where I ended up moving back in with her. Um, and then things were good for six months and then it went right back to it. So when you say it went right back to it, um, was there an event that was just like, that's it. We're right back to being resentful and angry or just kind of, I guess I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the word that comes to my mind is playing pretend, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I would say that it was good and there was effort, but it was part-time effort being put in trying to grow, right? And I had a lot more grow that I was trying to put into it than she was. It was more, I think it was more band-aid for her where I thought, okay, well, maybe if we do this right, it'll work. But what I didn't realize that was in six months, we were into the same routine. Mm. Wake up, go to work, get home from work, start drinking, eat dinner, put kids down. Somewhere in there, usually an argument, usually a fight. And then finish drinking and go to bed. It got right back into that same routine. So you can't, you know, it's insanity. You can't do the same thing and expect a different result. So, yeah, it was that, that it just went right back to it as in literally it was the same thing. You're like, oh, we can do this, this and this but no follow through on any of it. So we got nowhere. So we just ended up at that same cul-de-sac. That makes sense. I think that's, that's happens to a lot of people, unfortunately. Right. Cause I don't wish divorce on people. It's, it's not a great thing, mm -hmm. um, but it happens to a lot of people. So looking at that relationship, did your marriage change over time? Like, did it maybe start off better? And then over time it just got worse or was it just always bad and just kind of a, a relationship of responsibility or maybe that's not a great, again, don't let me put words in your mouth. <laughs> was it just always not great? So I would say it was happier in the beginning because we didn't have responsibilities, but there was still arguing. There was always fighting and through the whole course of that, now that I've gone to therapy, I did therapy for over a year, not not just related to that, but most, a lot of it was related to the relationship. After looking at the 10 years with the mindset and the perspective that I have on life now, the biggest issue was, as going to sound, um, hating on her but she was very immature and the biggest thing she did to me was project all of her insecurities towards me now those insecurities made me insecure so you had two insecure people trying to figure out how to do life and no 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 goal to get anywhere no effort put into it other than hey i can yell louder then we ended up with three kids in the middle of that so what are, you, what are we supposed to do now? 
it, it was never there there was never like a point in the marriage that I was like oh, okay this is what it's about that that wasn't a thing the 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 marriage wasn't ever that dream that we have or that even close to Disney relationship right I think initially yeah that's that was the plan but it's all it's really cute when you see Beauty and the Beast and the beauty's captive in his castle right even though that's what's going on it's still cute you think of that oh this is fun this is what it's supposed to be and then they end up falling in love right but it's that that time if you look at the big picture she she was i don't think there was ever a part that was really like oh this is awesome this is what it's supposed to be it was just a lot of me thinking down on myself because of the words she was telling me and me not being strong enough to actually like oh well no you're wrong this isn't who i am this isn't what's going on and there was a lot of time that i was just by myself honestly just by myself whether i was in the garage working on this building this working on the cars and the whole time i was just drinking you know i'd drink a 30 pack in a night on a on a weekend and then more potentially it wasn't good, dude. Um, it wasn't good. And it was like that for a long time. So did you guys, did you do any marriage counseling or anything like that? We attempted at one point, but it was literally, it was like four times we went in. Was the four uh, times helpful at all? I don't think so. I mean, maybe just enough to spark something. But then you stop it and the spark dies. Like it didn't, the, the spark had nothing to fall onto to start a fire. We tried another time at one point, but yeah, it just, there, there was never any time put into it. The, that they're telling you this is what you're supposed to do and everything's going to be fine. It's not going to be fine. Right? I know where these people are now. And in hindsight, I, I see the people who are telling me what to do. I don't want that life. Right. And then you, you, you're, you're putting all this effort and all, all this time into, oh, well, we can make this better and I can do this better. And you're trying to grow yourself so hard and so drastically. And then everybody just takes a big dump on you for doing any of that. What How are you, you actually supposed to do with that? How dare you not be the monster we expect you to be? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the world is is often not ready for us to change. Nope. And that's where things get hard because it's like, well, this is the world I live in. <laughs> and yeah. for me to continue living in it, I have to be this monster that everybody believes me to be. It's, mm -hmm. it's a terrible thing. It's an awful, awful thing. So looking at that situation then that, that you're then in, you've tried marriage counseling, you've done all these things, uh, you divorced, you got back together. What was the breaking point here? I think the, the final breaking point was, so at this point, um, we've got three kids, right? And same kind of thing. We had that third kid. It was a big gap. And I tried to fight it. I did. 
because I knew I wasn't going to do anything. Um, but I had to cave because I had to fill that expectation, right? Just got a house, okay? And now I'm working, again, crazy hours. So there's no time to do anything. Money's good at this point. At least I thought that it was. For whatever reason, and maybe it was my absence, start seeing the messages of guys popping up. And it's this, then it's that guy, then it's that. No, no accountability, I think, on either part, I think was a big issue. Um, there was no follow through. And I was like, I, I got to just get out of this. I have to leave. Why put myself through the, all that, that grief any longer? I've done it for long enough. It's been a decade. So, yeah, that, that was the point. Now, was that a single day? No, that was, that was a course of a couple months. But there was a lot of arguing, a lot of yelling, and I just I couldn't do it anymore. I was done. I, I basically gave up on the relationship, and I think I had to hit that point to know, okay, I'm giving up. I have to move on. And that was after years of that. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed a pattern, I think, that... Well, I guess I'll ask you this first before I say what I was going to say. Who who actually filed for a divorce? I did. You submitted the paperwork in the court. Yeah. Did she just sign it right away, or did she say, no, let's try to work it out? Or So, initially when we got divorced mid-relationship we, we collectively I think we agreed to it the second time when it was final and I was leaving now mind you we weren't married at this point right but we still had to go through everything all over again because in, in, in that amount of time all the assets are combined. Like everything goes back into that. I don't, I don't remember the word off the top of my head, but you, you're a legal relationship without having any paperwork, essentially. So we had to redo all that stuff and we did mediation. And then I had to call it again and I went and got a lawyer and I was like, hey, we have to do this, 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 this. Um, yeah, so... This the second time I'd say I was much more in the in the driver's seat of what was happening because somebody had to be. So the first time you filed, it was it was also you, right? Yeah, because I was the one who had money. Ah, we'll put That'll it that way. It. Yeah, That'll do it. You were working, so you you were there, paying paying for it. Yep. You're you're now the second person I've talked to who said, no, we weren't married at this point, but it was a long-term relationship. So it ended up falling apart just like a divorce with court and legal documents mm -hmm. and all of that. And it's it's a weird thing because the state we live in now is not a community property state. It does not recognize common law marriage. Other states I've lived in have where, you know, you live yeah. together long enough, it's common law marriage. But the state we live in does not. 
And yet somehow <laughs> this still happens. So there's no winning as a man, I think. <laughs> well, and it's it comes down to it too. It's like at one point I had my lawyer, he said, everything in the house that you paid for, even though you've been in a long-term marriage, is legally yours. Right? He that that was his his about verbatim what he told me. Anything that you've bought in the house is yours. Now, problem with that, in my opinion and in my experience, because again, it comes back to that expectation. If I'm taking all my stuff, then she has nothing. In her eyes, now I'm a monster again. In the court's eyes, now I'm a monster again because I'm taking everything with me, even though it's rightfully mine. It is really just an impossible situation. Either you can burn or your kids can suffer. Mm -hmm. And either way, your reputation's bad. Because on the one yeah. hand, you you stole, or well, you didn't steal, but it gets viewed at as you took from your children and your family. On the other hand, you're a bum who can't provide for himself. So it's like, you just, you can't win. No. No matter what, there's, there's no, there's no win. <laughs> uh, that's my, that's my anxious laugh. There's, there's an outcome is what there is. What I had to do, and it's going to sound ridiculous and it, and it felt weird, but it's paid out. There's an outcome. Right. Every every action has a reaction. And I had to bite the bullet for the second time and say, OK, you can keep everything. Now, did I have a tally of how much everything cost and exactly what was taken from me in that? Yes, I did. And I still do. I have that booklet of my itemized list of all my things. Is it going to do anything? Is it any value to me? No. It's a track record. It's, it's something for me to look back on of like, oh, gosh, that's what that relationship costed me on top of my inflicted self-image and depression that I had. It was just under $1,200 a month for three kids. No alimony. I did not pay alimony because initially she cheated on me. That's why we got divorced. So I didn't have to pay alimony. Do you know how much she has to pay? $250 a month. <laughs> and this is now you have full custody of the kids. Yes. My yep. first year I was divorced, I left her the home in lieu of alimony, uh, which you've seen what the housing market has done around here. That was a mistake. Um, but I just wanted to be done and I wanted her to be taken care of because even divorcing, I was still trying to take care of her, right? Take care mm -hmm. of the kids because it was 50-50 custody. I was paying for the entirety of any health insurance premiums, uh, which that's pricey. And yeah. then I was paying her, it wasn't a lot. It was only like a hundred dollars a month in, in child support or like 110 or 130, something like that. It was, it was small. But at the time, I was making, I think, a little over 30000 a year. So I was not making very much. It was a total paycheck-to-paycheck paycheck life. Mm -hmm. And then we go to court, somehow come up with all the thousands of dollars for that, uh, end up declaring bankruptcy, actually. It's fantastic. Dang. 
And after it's all said and done and sorted, now we're in kind of a different situation today, right? She makes very, very good money doing what she does. And she's remarried to a gentleman who also makes good money. And I'm not making 30,000 a year anymore. I make more than that. I'm doing okay. And she pays $48 a month. (laughs) (laughs) She makes well over six figures, well over six figures, $48 a month. It's a joke. It's an absolute <laughs> joke, man. I've known, I've I've spoken to other way before I started the podcast. Obviously, you're starting. You talk to people, and I've spoke to other women who got full custody of their kids, or uh, you know, their husbands went off, they were pilots or whatever, and they're getting eight or nine hundred dollars a month in yeah. child support. You know, and I'm looking at the income guidelines if my ex-wife takes custody of the kids, which that's a whole thing we're working out in court right now, where I'll be paying something like 16 to $1,800 a month. She's paying me. And mind you, I don't make six figures. Okay. I don't. Right. But she's paying me $48 a month, $48 a month. (laughs) So the most ridiculous part of that situation, because it is, it's across the board. The men always pay more. Yep. And I, wages don't matter. The men always pay more in the experience and the people that I've talked to. That's always the case. And it's not just a little more. Okay. It's a lot more. Now, in what realm of reality does the cost of the child or children change from one person to the next? Is child support actually something to support the child or is it just a petty monetary value that the government has put on? Oh, well, you're going to pay this because that's what it is. Kids don't change from $48 a month to $1,600 a month. That doesn't change. That is a constant and it usually gets more expensive as they get older. Yep. Absolutely, it does. It it makes no kind of sense. And every time we've gone back to court, and it's always, I get very, very frustrated with the legal system in general, especially because lawyers, anybody who's been through this, you know, it's going to cost you probably more than you've ever had to pay for any other service in your life. Mm-hmm. And hopefully more than you ever will pay for any other service in your life. And they all say the same thing. Well, it's complicated. Right. You go through and you look at the reviews on Google. Look at the lawyers with the crappy reviews. What do they always respond with? Well, your case is very complicated. My case is not complicated. I need 20 minutes in front of a judge to present evidence. That's it. That's (laughs) taken two years, two years. And every time we get in front of a judge, oh, we need to postpone this hearing. Oh, we need more mediation. We need this. We need that. It's complicated. That's what they all say. And it, it frustrates me, even though my lawyer now, who I'm much happier with than my last lawyer, that whenever they say, well, it's complicated and we need to work this out, we need to work that out. I can't help but look at them and go, you have a vested interest in having a good relationship with opposing counsel, with mediators, with psychologists, with judges, with lawyers. You have an interest in having a good relationship with them long after I'm gone. So even though I'm paying you anywhere from 250 to $350 an hour, mm-hmm. for you, it actually makes more sense to be friends with them and maybe get me to concede things 
than it does for you to represent me to the best of your ability. Because the fact is, if you were doing that, this would have been over a long time ago and it should have been over a long time ago, but it's not what happens. So it just, so it's a hundred percent clear because I think the court system justifies a lot of this saying, well, it's what's best for the children, right? I'm trying to take care of the children and I'm trying to equalize the pain. Have you found the court system to do that? No, absolutely not. I'll give you, I'll give you a quick breakdown of this last year and a half of, well, two years. Time goes by pretty quick, but she, again, the multiple guy things on the phone called it, just had to leave. Right. So I got my kids on weekends. Okay. I didn't do every other. I said, no, I absolutely want them every single weekend. Okay. So that was how we worked it out. Now, I was paying the, whatever, $1,200 in child support that the court said that's what I needed to pay. I was also paying the mortgage on the house that I wasn't living in because somebody had to pay it. It was also in my name. Again, my asset, solely mine. So I had to pay that. And basically what was happening was it was a party house. That's what it was. That's what my kids were surrounded by during the week was absolute partying. And this went on for about a year almost. Now, my kids would show up unbathed, okay? They would show up and eat like they hadn't eaten in about a week, okay? The behaviors that were coming from them were absolutely insane. And there was nothing I could do unless I had $100,000 in the bank to pay for the best attorney that I could possibly find and say, I don't care what you need to do, do it. Here's the money. There, there was, there was no option for me, even after DUIs, even after this, even after that. And there was nothing I could do. So what it came down to, there was a moment where an event happened at the house and I said, no, the boys are coming to live with me. And I want my daughter as well, right? But what it what it was is friends. And school year was pretty close to the end. So I said, hey, you know what? All right, finish the school year, and, you, and then you're coming to live with me. So what it literally took for the kids to come be with me was not the courts or the stack of evidence that said, they're not being cared for, not being supported. This is their living conditions and just bad decision after bad decision. What it took was literally an event that still to this day has traumatized my kids. And, and I just, that, that was what it was. I had to say, no, this is it. They have to come be with me. You, it's, it's unsafe. There's nothing you can do or nothing you've done. And I, I basically had to destroy herself for her to understand it because that was the only thing I could do. Now, mind you, for the last 10 years, she'd been destroying myself and my confidence in me. And, and that, that's what it took. Courts didn't help. They didn't care. I'd called the different departments, whether it was DCFS, and I'd called multiple different ways and say, hey, this is what's going on. And they, they didn't do anything. Now, did I have 
a great situation for them to go in as far as having space for him and all that. Not necessarily. I did. It, it worked. But it was still a hundred times better than what they were dealing with. But I had to finally just step up and tell my ex, hey, they need to not be in this situation. Period. End of story. The courts didn't do anything about it. How did she react to that? She agreed. Hmm. So she, though even still to this day, she knows that her choices and what she's doing with her life is not good. And I'm going to leave it at not good without getting too far into it. And there's these brief moments of sanity that that's the time when I need to step in. I've realized these moments, oh, boom, I need to do this now because it's, my, it's the time, it's the chance. Because it is, it's a brief moment of sanity for her. And it has to be some crazy, ridiculous event that gets to that point. And I don't, I never, I never realized that till after, right? That it was, okay, boom, I need to step in and put my foot through this door. This is my door to get through to that next place, that next step. Now, 24 hours, and it wouldn't be the same. And the, yeah, the outcome would not be the same. Yeah. So. I got to ask you this. Yeah. Um, and sorry, I didn't, I don't mean to cut you off, but I, I have to ask because all these things are happening and it's easy now having a conversation of far removed from it. But all these things are happening. They're all falling apart. You had this upbringing that was not great. You had this relationship that wasn't out that turns into its own hell. And then you have the fallout. You have these kids and you have these custody battles and you have these awful things happening to your children, the people you loved most. You're going through all this, man. Where where could you turn for support? Where were you able to find some? Oddly enough, that sun chills down my back right now. What I had to at least for the beginning part of it, what I had to do was just run with it. I, I had to look at the outcome. Where did I want to be? And what could I do in that moment? Well, you know, I didn't have the finances to fight in that moment. I literally just had to wait and bide my time. And then the kids came with me. Now it's a crazy concept. Absolutely crazy. Sounds like the laziest thing you I, I've ever done, but I literally just had to wait. Because I knew in my heart that it was going to happen. Now, in, in this first, before the kids came to, to live with, with me, I met my current wife. And I'd kept her separate from the kids for, I think it was three or four months. Because I just, I was like, I don't need them. I don't need any involvement between the two, not knowing what is going to come of this. Um, and... No prior kids from her. Divorced as well. But when she grew up, she had a very similar situation to what the kids were in with my ex. Of alcohol and potentially drugs and who knows what. Honestly, I, I will never know what happened to those kids in that time. Um unless they go to some hypnotherapy or who knows what, but 
she, once I introduced her and she got to know the kids, she was so passionate about what I needed to do to save them because she'd been in that situation. She knew the outcome of being treated that way and being involved in these things and the potential of what could happen because she'd had things happen, right? Whether it be strangers in the house or people who are, you know, completely plastered on whatever substance it is and what they can do to a young child. So the whole time she's, she's with me, right? We haven't got them yet. She's like, hey, you need out of the situation. We got to do this. You need to do this. We dropped them off. It was like an hour drive between dropping them off and where we were living. And like literally she would cry on the way home and the kids would just pass out because they knew they were going back to their hell. They knew that they were going back to that life. A lot of the times I wouldn't even get hugs because they would just go to their, I'm zoned out. I'm on whatever my escape is. They're gone. I wouldn't even get hugs. And she would cry on the way back and like literally like yell at me almost to the point of what are you going to do? You have to get these kids out of the situation. And the whole time I was like, Hey, I know. And it's hard and I don't want them to be in this hundred percent, but there's nothing that I can do at this point without having tons and tons and tons of debt to a lawyer, which they don't do because you have to pay up front for a retainer. Right. So that's not an option. Um, and there's, there's no, Oh, I'm an advocate for men, right? They have them but they don't do you any good and and what I've heard, right? Or I didn't, I don't have enough belief in it to even go that route. So I literally just had to wait and bide my time on, hey, it's gonna happen. They'll come to me. She's gonna screw up so bad that they will come and they'll be with us. And that's what happened. They came to be with us. I, I really just had blind faith. Is the, is the best way I can put it. Now, I'm not a religious man. I totally think people who have that, it's awesome. It's really great. But I had blind faith that this was just going to happen how it was supposed to happen. Hmm. And that's and I, Yeah, I, it, it was weird. It's, and I still, I still have to do that. And it, it still keeps playing out the way that it could, the best way that it could. Anytime that I pushed, all I got got was crap. That's what came out. So I literally just waited and it all worked out. Now, did I lose over $100,000 through the whole thing? Yeah, absolutely. But did I gain having my wife with me who fully supports me, who took on three kids? Yeah. And... Now, collectively, we have that rock. We can hold on to that. But I really was by myself to an extent. I had support, but I was really just by myself saying, this is going to happen. It's going to, we got to wait. I can't push. I'm not in a position that I can fight this or I can say this and not have that, that negative stigmatism from the courts or from an outsider that, oh, well, he's just being rude and he's just being greedy right because that's not going to get you anywhere man it was like i literally i had resistance from 
everybody. I had support, right? Like my dad supported me and my current wife, she fully supported me in those decisions, but she pushed like, Hey, we got to do this. We got to do this. Now, once we got to that point, she really did help accelerate the fact of, okay, we got to do the paperwork. We got to get the course going. She put a lot of time into doing that. So on that side, a hundred percent, I don't think I'd be where I was without her. So it sounds like now your relationship with your dad is much better than it was. Yes. It's had its ups and its downs. Um, With my dad, he's always supported me and pushed me but even still to this day i mean just drinks way too much does whatever i mean he's old school rock star man he's just living the life you know but he's always supported me especially through the marriage and everything he didn't support the marriage but he supported me while i was in the marriage if that kind of makes sense and right. maybe in hindsight, that actually makes more sense than uh, than it did at the time. Oh, yeah, for sure. The reason I asked that is um, is because I've noticed, and I'm, I'm wondering if this is a pattern, uh, for when I left high school and I went off into the military, um, I, I saw my mom a few times. But then after that, I really didn't talk to her very much. I think I went like seven years without talking to her. Yeah. Um, I just didn't want to fight. I didn't want the drama. And so I just didn't talk to her at all. And she didn't feel the need to reach out to me. So it was kind of perfect. Uh, but then at some point we started talking again, um, just because I felt the need to, to have that relationship. And we kind of kept each other at a distance, but we were talking until I started going through my divorce. And then it was really? all of a sudden like, yeah, no, really. Once I started going through my divorce, it's like we had a new level of suffering that we could relate on. And now I talk to her like every week and we usually talk for something like an hour. Um, so yeah, we talk wow. all the time now and now she's crazy supportive these days. Mm-hmm. So I, it, it's just, I'm wondering if it's a pattern of, of people who become estranged from their children or, or from their parents and then later they get divorced. Now they have like a, a new way of looking at the world that makes a little more sense. And I will say this because my parents were divorced and I was going to have a, yeah, they, they, they are. And I have a new appreciation for both of them. I used to really, really appreciate my dad who would fly across the country to come see me uh, because he lived on the other side of the country. And so I don't only see him three or four times a year, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I love those weekends, three or four weekends a year. And I really struggle with my mom, especially growing up too fast, that our responsibility, giving everything up to help her make ends meet. I, I resented her, I think, for a long time for that. But then now that I'm divorced, I've realized she literally did the best she knew how to do. Mm-hmm. That wasn't well. It wasn't perfect. There were absolutely bad times. But she did the best she knew how to do. And it was better than she had. And I think if you can do that as a parent, if you can say, my kids have it better than I had, okay. Right? What else What else can really be asked of you? Right. And that absolutely 100%. And I think, same thing, my dad's divorced as well. Divorced and then widowed. Kind of an interesting combo. But I always had a weird relationship. After my mom passed, I definitely it was always a weird relationship where we always talked and we were still involved in each other's lives very heavily. Um, but it was it was a weird 
opposition kind of to the relationship because there were times where we, we were weren't really talking but we were still in each other's lives because i don't want to keep my kids from him right he as a grandparent he was still a good, good grandparent and still is to this day yeah it's once once i've made that decision to finally step away i would agree that that relationship got stronger yeah it's, it's weird it's weird. It kind of weird huh it's weird it doesn't make sense uh logically but that's the way it well, seems to work out or at least for us it did i think it's because you joined the club yeah. <laughs> okay that's i think that's probably the most the best most succinct <laughs> way of wording you join the club <laughs> right so now you have that level of okay you've been through it i've been through it now we can be on that same playing field <laughs> True. They don't seem so bitter now. Now that's just like, no, I get it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's that's how I would look at it, I guess. Let me ask you this. Going through what you've been through, at this point you've been divorced two years and you've remarried in those two years. So yes. pretty quick. And you've been through therapy and obviously you recognize that you went through some low points. But in just talking to you and just listening to your story, there have been multiple times where you've come to big epiphanies, big kind of life-changing realizations that have changed who you are now from who you were, say, five, 10 years ago. How long did it take you to learn those lessons and come to those realizations? And so, I'm sure they're still happening, but oh, just yeah. so that people have an uh, idea, like it won't always be like this, you know, things change, you realize things, like how long does that take for you? So number one, thank you for that. Um, because I need some uh, uh, acknowledgement that I have made those things in, in the course of the years um, from an outsider, right? Honestly, I think what it comes down to is simply put those life-changing moments or those those really pivotal pivotal moments in in a, in a life is. It's there's there's nothing really leading up to it. I think there's thoughts and there's there's ideas that pop into your head, but there's no real forethought to them. It's it's literally about a five minute window where you've finally been pushed to a certain point, whether that be an extreme up or an extreme down. I think you get you get pushed to this point, and there's like this weird. There's that one path in your brain that needs that neuron to pass through. And that moment pushes you there. And then you go, oh, okay, that's what I've been waiting for. I don't think that there's really a ton of forethought in those moments. I think that there is something hits that extreme for you and it hits in your brain. And now you go, oh, okay. So everything that I was thinking, this is why I thought those, and this is what I can do with those. If you have a bunch of twos, you don't know what they're going to be because you don't know if you're adding or subtracting or multiplying, right? But you have a bunch of twos that you've been thinking. And then that moment comes in to where you know, okay, I'm adding here, I'm multiplying this, boom, 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 here's the outcome. Does that make sense as an analogy? It does. It does. It's sometimes you don't know how it's going to work out, but you have all the ingredients you're collecting. Yep. And you're just kind of waiting for the recipe. 
<laughs> yep, exactly. That it's makes like, a lot of sense. It's like people talk about there's a haze over it, right? Well, the hazy part's what you're doing with all that information. You can have the information. You see that. But what you're actually going to do with that, that's the hazy part. And that, like I said, I think it's literally, it's like a five-minute moment where that haze goes, now you see it. And then you do whatever you got to do. But literally, you have to be pushed to an extreme point of whatever emotion you're feeling. And anger is not going to do it. I don't think anger is an emotion that's actually going to get you anywhere. And now I had mad anger issues. and I was horrible with relationships, whether it was people I knew. Everybody thought I was just this, like, just angry, angry dude. And I was at the time because I didn't know anything other than that. But I don't think anger is the emotion that's going to do it. I think it's it's extreme joy or extreme lack of confidence could be something, right? Where you're like, oh my gosh, I have no control or I have no idea what's happening. And then you go, oh, but if all this stuff's told me now that this is what I need to do, could you have thought of that if you weren't at that low point? No, absolutely not. It's not going to happen. But you had to be at that that frequency or that energy level to actually see what you're going to do. You know, it's interesting you it, you bring that up because something that I figured out very recently, and I thought that I had this figured out, but I had to figure it out again, <coughs> is that I had anger issues. <laughs> oh, now, <laughs> I, I believe that and... For it was a while ago where I decided, hey, I'm going to make some changes in my life. I noticed that I tend to pop off at this, but I don't do it in these situations. And I went through therapy as well. And I realized now that I am over some hurdles, that I have been way more angry than I ever believed I was. I didn't even know how angry I was. And, you know, military background, you know, you yell a lot. Right. So <laughs> it happens. Okay. And just because I yell doesn't necessarily mean I'm angry, but I yell loud and people tend to get scared, especially because I'm a, no, this is all audio, but I'm kind of a scary looking guy. Right. I'm not exactly yeah. small. And uh, so I tend to frighten people, which would always upset me and I'd be resentful of because mm -hmm. I'd say, I'm actually not angry. I have the exact same emotions everyone else has, but when I have them, people get scared. So that was frustrating, but it's taken me a while to figure out, no, no, I was very angry and I have yep. been a lot of my life and I'm only figuring that out now that I'm mellowing because now I try very hard not to yell and I try very hard to communicate pretty much any way except anger. It was uh, actually, you know, what really did it for me uh, was reading Stoicism and there's this letter that Seneca writes and he says something along the lines of love and anger are both akin to madness. When somebody's angry, it's not so much that they have anger as it is that anger has them. Mm -hmm. It's like you're not in control of yourself. And it's it's a form of madness. Yeah. And it it completely it contradicts any reason. And uh, man, I had to chew on that for a few months. <laughs> oh, for sure, dude. But that was a turning point for me when I figured that out. Like every time I'm angry, yeah, that when you're angry is when you do the stupid things. 
That is when you're not in control of yourself. I went through my phase in high school where I would drink. Mm-hmm. But I, like I said earlier, I did not enjoy being drunk. I don't like not being in control of myself. That bothers me. And anger is exactly that. You've lost control of yourself. So when you say well, that, I <laughs> that that hits my anger chakra when you said that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and I kind of prided myself on being angry for a long time, too which sounds completely insane. One one of the big things for me was, okay, yes, I was angry. Like I was a very angry person. Like I, I would destroy my friendships and somehow I got good friends out of it. I don't understand how people still wanted to be around me necessarily. They also got to see me go through my change, which has been cool. The, the issue, anger isn't really a root emotion from what my understanding is. There was always something prior to emotion or prior to anger that gets you there. I believe anger is a defense mechanism. Exactly. You, it you is. don't get it's... angry until something hurts you or scares you. Mm-hmm. Well, or even, you know, there could be other stuff with that too. Even if you're happy, some people get excited and then they start, you know, destroying stuff. That's, that's anger. It's it's a secondary it's a it's a scapegoat emotion. Yes, yes, right. I agree one hundred percent. That that's my thinking. And like I said, I I had to learn a lot to learn to. Okay, I was angry. Why was I actually angry? That was dumb. I was just being dumb. I was being weak. I was being very selfish. Right through all that, but. Once I figured that out and learned to talk through my emotions and actually had a spouse that I could have a conversation with and get somewhere with that, things really started to change around. It was amazing what not having this anger all the time did. Now, mind you, I was still drinking for a part of this. I don't anymore. But we could still have a conversation, even if it was discussing something that wouldn't turn into an argument. And it took a lot to not like rage, anger, you know, you, you get that feeling in your body of, oh, I'm angry and my blood's flowing and you get a little hot. Right. And I think, I think for a long time, my body wanted that feeling. Mm. Right. It was looking to get to that point. Cause that was my adrenaline rush. What's well, a powerful feeling. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I would say it's the feeling wise maybe maybe not english grammar wise but feeling wise i'd say the feeling is almost the direct opposite to weakness almost almost I, now now that i've processed some things and grown a little bit i'd say that confidence is the opposite to weakness which completely gets rid of the need for anger but before mm-hmm. you figure that out feelings wise feeling hurt or feeling angry well anger is just more useful Right. If you could go back to that version of you who was in the thick of it, who was at those low points going through this divorce, this awful situation, what would you say to yourself? Ooh. I think that what I would what what I really wanted from somebody 
at that point? Because that, that's the question, right? What would I tell? What, what did I want at that point for someone to tell me? I think all I would really want was simply just like, hey, man, what are you doing? And where are you trying to go? Right? It wasn't, hold on. It wasn't, oh, we'll just keep pushing or, hey, you're being dumb right now. It was, where are you going? What are, what are you doing to get there? Because I wasn't. I wasn't controlling myself. I wasn't controlling anything around me other than I was going to work and I made sure there was, there was money. That was the only thing I was actually controlling. I had no idea what I was trying to do with my life other than I know I needed to provide. That's not a life. And that 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 sim simplicity of that is like, okay, well, do I want to be in this relationship anymore? Is this actually where I want to be? And the answer was no, that was not where I actually wanted to be. Did I want to be out in the garage by myself till three o'clock in the morning drinking? No, I didn't want to be doing that. That was what I knew. That's what I was doing. But really just like, what? where did I want to be? Where was, how was I going to get there? That's what I needed. That and a couple of moments of clarity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those of us that have had there, that have had those are like, oh man. Yeah. <laughs> That's saying a lot. Yep. A couple more questions and then I promise I'll let you go. Um, right now you have, custody of your kids yep you have a wife at home who obviously gets along well with your kids you yes. feel great about this relationship the anger's gone you're sober um how do you feel about your future right now i know where i want to go right just like i would have told myself i i figured out where i wanted to go now did i want to go a b c d e f g yes and i i hit those points and I got to that spot. Now I have a big picture. I, ha I have the, the dream that I really want to get to. Now, I have my small dreams right now that I'm living. Okay, they're not dreams anymore. They're, they're my life. I have, I have my dream woman, right? I got there, I can talk to her. The, the, the physical attraction is like nothing I've ever experienced before. Even outside the bedroom, there is just a massive attraction between the two of us. We're very similar people too, which is interesting. But I think that really helps us for the way that we think um, and the way our brains work. So I have, I have mental stability. I have emotional stability. I have physical stability, financial stability. Like I have all these things, but where I'm headed I don't know what it looks like necessarily, okay? But I know what it's going to be. I know the feelings I'm going to have. I don't know the location. I could live in any state. I could live in any country. That doesn't matter. The location doesn't matter. The, the material stuff that I have doesn't matter. Do I want a nice fancy car? Yeah, my son, my, my youngest said I should have an Austin Martin. He doesn't even know what that is. But he said, Dad, that's a cool <laughs> car. You should get that car. And there was an older like Mercury coupe or something um, from the 50s or 40s. And that's much more my style. But he was like, hey, 
this is you, this is your car, dad. And he didn't say it like that because he doesn't really have the speech yet. But even that, I was like, okay, so maybe I've missed something. Maybe there's something that I've missed. Maybe I like this older style of things, but maybe I need to change my dreams a little bit to be a little more updated. We'll put it that way, right? But I know that my kids, I'm going to be their hero. I know that that's what's going to happen. Okay. I know that I'm going to be a leader for anybody that I meet out there and not a leader in management. I'm going to be that leader that they want to surround themselves with. And whether it's a friendship, whether it's a business relationship, it's not going to matter to me. I know that I'm going to take them where they want to go. And I know that my wife will never look at another man. I know that there will be no question of who I am with. Even if we're two different people across the room and there's 800 people in the room, you're going to know that we're together. I know the emotion and the life that I'm going to have based off that aspect. The material stuff doesn't matter to me anymore. Do I want nice things? Of course, we all want nice things. But the relationships that I'm going to have with my family, with my friends, that's how I know where I'm going to be and where I'm going to be be living and what my outcome is. That's a huge, huge leap from where you were. Yes. Last question. And maybe this is a question that you're not just answering for now, but you're also answering for 10 years from now. What do you wish your your kids, your friends, your family, the people closest to you, what do you wish they knew about your story? The biggest thing is going to be that there is another. One day you walk through that gate, right? 10 years of time to go through a lot of stuff and a lot of self-doubt, a lot of, you know, low-level confidence in anything, in yourself, in what you're doing. All those different things, there, there was a day where I walked through that gate and I put it all behind me. There was a day where I decided I was too far into drugs and I walked out of that. Like there was that moment. And I think that's that five minutes that I'm talking about. There's that moment. And you make the choice and you walk out. So, yes, out of my story, hey, I'm just testimony. I did it. For anybody out there, it's possible. You just have to walk through that gate. You have to have that moment and go. Don't wait. Don't question it. Go. Just do it. I don't think I'd be where I was at even when I met my ex if I hadn't walked out of that drug life. Now, I wasn't there very long, but I knew, hey, you got too far. You got to walk out, right? Now, through that 10 years, I was blessed with my kids. I was blessed with a lot of things that I know I don't want to do and don't want to be. I walked through those gates. I had to go through them and get to that next, that next place. Now, look where I'm at. I've never had this in my life before. Even as a kid, I don't remember having what I have now as far as being grateful for it, as far as the happiness level, it's, it's well beyond anything I actually thought of, even though I don't have this dream life that you see on social media. Now I don't need that. I need 
the relationship that I have. And that took me walking through those gates and we can all do it. We all can walk. We can walk. We can use crutches. We can drive a car. We can go on a wheelchair. We can go on a skateboard. Like it doesn't matter. Just get through that gate. When you see that moment, go through the gate. Rock, thank you so much for sharing your story. I, uh, I know it's helped me process some things and I, I really hope that it'll help somebody else who's listening. So thank you for being willing. Of course. Thank you. It's, uh, it's good to get it out there. <laughs>